Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to LifePoint. We're thrilled to have you with us today. Uh, I'm smiling kind of big because uh, we were just scrambling. We're still trying to figure this out behind the scenes. So that was pretty comical. I think I'm all together here, and hopefully this air will go off, and that's not in my mic. Uh, hopefully. So anyways, we're thrilled to have you. And uh, if you're able, I know some of you aren't able for various reasons, but if you're able, we'd love to have you come join us uh, outside for our outdoor service at 830. I know it's early, um, but we've been having an incredible time these last couple of weeks. And again, I know some of you can't or the various reasons you're not able to, but if you can, love to have you this next week. Uh, we're going to keep uh, bringing everything online here, excited about this and being able to share together. Uh, so uh, all right, yeah, you guys are going to need your phones. Uh, we're going to go on there. You're going to need to do some stuff on those. Uh, also, you can look up some uh, of the notes on there. So make sure you have your phone with you as you're watching with us today. All right, there's, there's a man by the name of Dr. Dean Hammer, and he is a world-famous geneticist who is the chief of gene structure at the U.S. National Center uh, for, for Cancer. He was the chief until his retirement in 2011. And he wrote a fascinating book called The God Gene. And he said this, he says, just as there is a part of our DNA that causes, you know, our eyes to be a certain color, our hair to be a certain color, us to be a certain height, he says he's isolated and found a part of the DNA molecule that causes us to seek after God. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. He says it's part of our DNA to be spiritual. It's part of our DNA to actually seek after God. Now, he's not a Christian. I'm not sure we'd agree with everything that he says, but what he does say, it is pretty fascinating and it's pretty interesting. For example, he says this. He says, when you and I begin to encounter God in a way that is clear and connected, that our brains begin to uh, function in different ways than when we weren't connecting with God. He figured this out by having people sit in a room and then begin to pray. And while they prayed, he took images of their brain. Now, he had taken images prior to them praying as well. And so prior to people praying, the intellectual side of people's brain was firing. But once they began to pray and once they began to make a connection to God, the creative side of their brains also began firing, including the pleasure center of the brain. Now, this is intriguing to me, especially when you couple that with a verse like Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. And it says this, it says, your presence, God, fills me with joy and brings me what? Type that in right now. Say it out loud of right now, wherever you're sitting. Type it in. Brings me, what's the word? Pleasure, right? Pleasure. Now that makes sense to those of us who know God. As Dr. Hammer said, when we begin to interact with God, our brains begin to fire on all cylinders, so to speak. And our bodies, they experience joy and pleasure and happiness. Well, there's a second thing that, that he discovered uh, when we are connecting to God. And when we're connecting to God, he discovered that our bodies begin to release chemicals such as dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. And as they're released into our system, it has a way to where our immune system functions even better. In other words, 
when you and I encounter God, it actually improves our health. Now, Dr. Hammer also did some longer-term studies with those who are connecting with God and who are consistently experiencing God. And he found that that actually had four different effects on people. First, he discovered this, that people who had longer-term connections with God and encounters with God, first of all, he found that they were more optimistic people than the normal population. That no matter what kind of trial or difficulty or challenge someone was going through, that they believed somehow things would work out for them, that somehow things would work for the good in some fashion. What do you and I call that? Well, you and I, we call that faith, don't we? We call that perseverance. Second, what he discovered about those who have these long-term connections with God or these encounters with God, that they tend to be uh, people who have a heightened sensitivity to those around them. That they, they talk about others in caring ways and they tend to want what is best for people. Now, as Christians, what do you and I call that? Well, we would call that love, wouldn't we? Love, because love is wanting what's best for one another. Well, there's a third effect on those who are connecting with God on a regular basis. It's what Dr. Hamler calls self-forgetfulness. In other words, in other words, they tend to put others ahead of themselves. They tend to put others ahead of their own agenda. And that's what Jesus said, didn't he? I mean, Jesus told us, he said, I came not to be what? Type it in there. I came not, I came not to be served, but to what? To serve others. And Jesus said, and to give my life away. And so for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, Jesus said, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to be servant-oriented and not self-oriented. Fourth, Dr. Hammer said this. He said that people who consistently encounter the spiritual realm, they experience what he called mystical things, and, and they would talk about them. Now, think about that. What do we call that? Well, we would call that something like a prayer, right? We would call that answered prayers, or we would call that even miracles. See, those of us who have a connection with God, a relationship with God, we get it. That out of a relationship with God, there is faith and there is love and there is serving over self and there is answered prayers. But Dr. Hammer is saying, yeah, it's true, but it's true because it's actually part of our very DNA, that you were designed to be in an intimate, dynamic relationship that's vibrant with God, that God made every single one of us to be in close connection with Him. Now, as we begin to understand uh, this new series we're going into, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Jewish tabernacle. Studying the tabernacle is without question one of the most enlightening studies in all of Scripture. And as we begin to understand this, the tabernacle and what it represents and, and what it symbolizes, this will help enhance our relationship with God beyond what you can imagine right now today. Because again, you and I were designed, we were created by God to have this intimate, dynamic, vibrant relationship with Him. It's in our very DNA. And so, understanding the tabernacle can enhance our relationship with God. Here's what I want to do today, is I want to set the stage for us 
of where we're going in this series. I, I need to give you some context today before we dive in deeper in the weeks to come. So what I want to do today is I want to frame this topic through the lens of the question, why? Why study? Why understand the tabernacle? Well, the first reason, it might even be the most important reason, the first reason that we want to look in this and dive into this is because the tabernacle was God's idea. It was God's will. God designed it. God created it. Now, you might know this. Uh, back in, in, in before it was uh, built and, and set up, the Jewish people were in the desert. And for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses went up on the mountaintop to be with God. And do you know what, God, what was going on up there with Moses and God? What, what happened? What did Moses come down with? Type that in if you know what the answer is. What did he come down with? He came down with, anybody know? The Ten Commandments, right? By the way, how many times did he come down with the Ten Commandments? For those who know the story, type it in if you know. How many times? Once, twice, more? And the answer was twice, right? He came down twice. But what else was going on up there during those 40 days? God was showing Moses the tabernacle. God was saying this, Exodus chapter 25, verse 9. He said to Moses, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings, what? Exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Jump ahead to verse 40. God said to, him, to Moses, study the design you were given on the mountain and make everything accordingly. In Acts chapter 7, this is the New Testament, we see Stephen. Stephen's the first person who was martyred for Jesus. And it's very interesting. Just prior, moments before his life was going to be taken from him, Stephen actually took the time to talk about the tabernacle. And he talked about how God showed Moses the tabernacle and built it to the exact specifications. The tabernacle was God's plan, God's idea, and God's will. By the way, the temple, on the other hand, anybody know whose idea that was? See, that was David's idea. That was David's idea. In fact, commentators say that that idea for the temple was actually born out of David's flesh. Sure, God does eventually bless it and use it, but that wasn't God's idea. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, God said to the people, he said, hey, did I ever say to any of the leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? No, no, no. The answer is no. That wasn't part of God's plan, God's will. God's plan, God's will was the tabernacle. So we want to study and we want to understand the tabernacle because this is God's will. This is God's idea, God's design. God created it. All of the parts of the tabernacle have huge uh, symbolic meanings, and we want to understand it. And the more we can understand it and grab a hold of it, the more it has the potential to truly enhance our relationship with God. Now, there's another reason it's important to study the tabernacle, and that's because it reveals to us a great deal about God and how we are to interact with Him. Uh, now, let me, again, kind of set some context here. Let me give you an idea of this tabernacle. First of all, the tabernacle was 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. The outer part of this tabernacle, the outer court, so to speak, was made up of seven and a half foot high white fine linen fabric, and that was attached or fastened to 60 supporting pillars with one entrance on the east side. And as you would enter through that one entrance, 
you would see right in front of you the bronze altar of sacrifice. Just beyond that a little bit was the bronze laver, which was for washing and cleansing. And we're going to talk about that in upcoming weeks. But beyond that, as you look beyond those two items, you'd see a larger or taller structure that stood out from the t- uh, and that itself, it was taller and, and, and bigger inside that court area. That was the tabernacle itself. The tabernacle itself was a wooden structure that was overlaid with gold. Now, hang with me on the numbers here. It was 15 feet wide. It was 45 feet deep or long, and it was divided into two different rooms. And those two rooms were separated by, by a, a curtain or what we would call the veil. So you would enter through those five pillars through the multicolored curtain that was hanging on these five pillars. And again, it's 45, or 15 feet wide by 45 feet deep. The first chamber was 15 feet wide by 30 feet deep, and that was called the holy place. It contained three articles of golden furniture in there. There's the golden lampstand. We're going to talk about it. There's the table of showbread. We'll talk about that. There's the altar of incense. We'll talk about that. So that's 15 by 30. If you remember how long that, that tabernacle was, anybody remember? You can type it in. It's 45, right? And so what do you have left? If the first chamber's 15 by 30, what do you have left? 15 by, yeah, some of you are catching it, 15 by 15. That section was called the Holy of Holies. And inside there, there was only the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to talk more about that in this series. What I want you to do right now is just watch this quick clip to kind of help you visualize what we're talking about and where where we're headed next. So watch this video clip. I got the signal. I, again, we're working on this, so hopefully we're all good to go, and you all just saw that, and, and, and I'm back with you. Again, we're working on all this, so thank you uh, for that. So you get a little visual there. You get to see that. And so let's think about this now. So now you just saw that. So as you look around, again, we're understanding how we connect with God and how we interact and relate with Him. As you look around in this tabernacle, the first thing you're going to notice, excuse me, is how vibrant the colors are. 
Exodus 25 says the colors were burgundy scarlet and sky blue and purple and gold and silver and bronze. You see, God wants to relate to us in a way that we would, it would just grab a hold of us visually. But also, God would want you to notice the smells. You would smell the spices and you would smell the cooking of the animals on the bronze altar of sacrifice. Next week, we're going to talk more about that. But these smells were meant to invoke in us this idea, this knowledge of sacrifice that serves for you and I as a reminder to us that whenever we come before God, the first thing we do is we come with a spirit, we come with an attitude of sacrifice in order to enter into the presence of God. Now, you would be overwhelmed with those smells, but you would also be overwhelmed with another smell. In the holy place inside was the sweet smell of incense burning. Why? Because the incense was a picture of our prayers going up to God, and that was like a sweet aroma to God as he receives our prayers. Because again, God wanted to connect with us. Third, God would want you to also hear things that you would hear things. You would notice the sounds. You would hear this incredible worship of God by the Levites. Why? Because God made us to love the sound of singing. I think every single one of us would agree. We love music. We love music. God created us that way, right? It's in our very DNA. But there'd also be times of teaching and then people for us to, uh, there to interpret and help us understand the teaching. So intellectually, we would be hearing things like you're doing right now. And also creatively, you would be hearing things because God wanted you to worship him with your sight, with your ability to smell, and also your ability to hear sounds. Well, next, God wanted you to touch. This is very interesting. At the bronze altar of sacrifice, to impress upon the Israelites the seriousness of their sins, God required that the person who was making the sacrifice, that he or she laid their hand on the animal that was being sacrificed. Because that was symbolic that, hey, this animal represented the person and, and their sin and the sacrifice they were making before God. God wanted you to have a tactile experience in your worship of him. Are you catching it? The tabernacle was a vibrant place designed by God to literally touch every area of our being, our whole body, as we interact with him, as we draw close to him. As Dr. Hammer said, it's in our very DNA to connect with God. Now, the next thing about the tabernacle, it was incredibly costly, and you're going to need your phones, and you're going to need your calculator in a moment, just giving you a heads up. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred what? What does it say? Their sacred, say it or type it in. Their sacred, what's the word? Offerings, right? Offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. See, we can come before God and say, God, I am so devoted to you. God, I am so in love with you that I want to willingly and I want to generously give towards what is in front of me. By the way, God hasn't changed that today. So God designed it that we would have purposeful times and periods in our worship of him, where we actually take a portion, even a percentage of what he's given to us, and that we would offer that back to him. 
as, as a willing sacrifice, as a loving sacrifice, as we invest in his kingdom and we invest in his work. In fact, we say that here at LifePoint. You may have never have noticed or paid attention, but now maybe you will. We say here at LifePoint something like this. We're going to continue our worship now by giving an offering, right? Have you heard us say something like that? We do, and we're purposeful, and we're intentional because we believe part of worship is giving an offering, that God set it up that way. Now, I want you to notice the ways that God instructed the Israelites to invest in his kingdom in the building of his tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 25, verse 3 and following, God says, hey, here's some of the items that are acceptable, gold and silver and bronze. And then he lists all these fabrics and animals, and he goes on, and olive wood and spices and oils. And so he mentions all those there. Later, in Acts chapter 38, verses 21 through 31, you can read it later, we find out what was given. For example, let's just look at some of the medals. They gave one ton of gold to decorate the tabernacle. Now, so here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to type this in. Uh, how many ounces or, or how many uh, pounds, I should say, are in a ton? Anybody know? You can type that in, in your calculator, right? You know that. It's 2,000 pounds for a ton. Anybody know how many ounces in a pound? You should know that. That's what, 16 ounces. So 2,000 times 16. How many ounces is that? Anybody know? You figured it out yet? Yeah. For those of you who are quick, just type it into the chat there so other people can see. 32,000 ounces. Now, price of gold today. We're just going to round to make it easier. We're not going to do the exact amount, but basically it's been around $1,900 an ounce. Rough price of gold. So somebody type that amount in. Uh, you can even say it to the people sitting around you. How much money in gold is that? 32,000 ounces, $1,900 an ounce. That is $60 million. $800,000 was given in gold. Scripture tells us they gave four tons of silver. That's 128 ounces, excuse me, 128,000 ounces for those who are quick on the calculator. Anybody know what the price of silver is today, roughly? $27 an ounce. So figure it out, type it in real quick. Anybody know the number quicker than I can say it? Anybody? That's $3.5 million given in silver. There's also two and a half tons of bronze that was given. If the tabernacle were built today, it would cost about 65 to 70 million dollars just for the metals. God says, I want people to worship me by, by giving and so their hearts were moved, and they gave willingly, and they kept giving, and they kept giving, and they kept giving. And the Bible tells us that a Moses eventually had to say to the people in Exodus 36, he eventually had to say, stop giving. You've overgiven. You've given enough. Now, by the way, I have never had the privilege to be able to say, stop giving. You've given enough. I got to tell you, though, I'd love to have that privilege, right? Right? I love that privilege. So how about this? How about this? How about we do that this week? We give it a try this week. What do you say? We would need about, give or take, about $8 million to build our, our new building that we're one day, God willing, going to build over in our, in our dirt area. Take about $8 million bucks, and we could have a new building. That's nothing compared to the $70 million, right? That's only in gold. That's only about 264 pounds. So what do you say? We all go for it this week, see what happens, and we can get that new building. No? All right. All good. But that, they, they gave incredibly generously. See, the tabernacle was designed by God. 
It was an incredibly costly investment. And our worship of God is meant to cost us something. And I'm not just talking dollars. The New Testament talks about this idea that you and I, what is our worship? It's costly, that we're actually a living sacrifice. We're a living sacrifice. There's another reason to study the tabernacle. The tabernacle was something that the devil hates. In Revelation chapter 13, there's this verse that talks about the Antichrist. The Antichrist who is a man who will rise up in the last days. And it says this in verse 6. It says, he opened his mouth for blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his what? Type it in there. Say it out loud. What? To blaspheme his tabernacle, even them that dwell in the heaven. The Antichrist is going to attack two things, or really three, they're going to attack us, but, but it's going to attack two things according to this verse. One is God's name, and one is the tabernacle. So it's important to study this because our enemy is against God. Our enemy is against the name of God, against the things of God, against God's house, and all that that represents. He's against all that matters to God, and so the tabernacle is something that mattered to God. What's one of the reasons that the devil hates the tabernacle and why we should be studying it? Well, because the tabernacle is a picture. It's a reminder that God actually wants to dwell with us, that he wants to live with us. To God, the tabernacle is one of the clearest signs or symbols of God pulling us near to him, of saying to us, come, come and be loved this is how you enter my presence. This is how we interact together. This is how I redeem you. This is how I can touch you at the deepest level, at the core of your very being. This is how you can be everything that you've been called to be and you are meant to be. This is how you understand how I designed you, even in your very DNA. This is how we connect with one another. God is saying through the tabernacle, I'm here with you. I'm living with you. I'm living among you. It's interesting. When Jesus arrived uh, uh, here on earth a couple thousand years ago, the apostle John later described it this way in John chapter 1, verse 14. He says this. He says that the, the, the word of God, the word became flesh. The word was God with God. That whole passage, amazing passage, said the word of God became flesh. And it says this, and it tabernacled among us. Another translation more literal means it pitched its tent among us, right? The tent, the tabernacle. It didn't say the word became flesh and templed among us. No, the temple was a fixed location. God had this tabernacle that moved wherever the people moved and God was in the midst of the people. God was sending us a message. He was letting us know, draw near to me that I'm going to live with you and among you. So in studying the tabernacle, it was incredibly important for you and I to experience the depth of a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, with God through Jesus Christ. Now the next thing I want you to think about with me is I want you to think about the size of the tabernacle the size of the tabernacle. God was sending you and I a message through its very size. Like I said, tabernacle, what was it? It was 150 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. That's about 11,250 square feet. Based on, you know, the, the amount of, you know, metals giving, that's 
$5,800 a square foot, by the way, for those of you who are kind of construction people or, or money people. For those of you who might know, what does it cost to build an average house today? Some of you can even type it in if you're in construction, you might know. It's about 200 bucks a square foot to build a house today. The temple was $5,800 a square foot just for the metals. That's crazy to think about. But I was thinking to myself, it's only 11,000 square feet. That's pretty small. God, if you're wanting to invite a million plus people into your presence and you say you want to have a relationship with us and you want to be close to us and only 1,000 or 1,500 people can enter into your presence at any given time, yeah, I think God was saying something to us about the size. He was saying, first of all, you're all welcome. And I'm going to be close. I'm in the midst of the people. But I think there's another message. I want to be close. And the size, it's like God's saying, I want to be close, but most aren't going to come. I'm right here. I'm this close. Most aren't going to come. I've made a place for you. But will you come? If you'll draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So, the question for you and I today and throughout this series is very simply this. Will you enter into God's presence? God invites you and I into his presence, into a relationship with him. We are welcome. God literally wants to be that close to us. This isn't some huge thing that's far away. It was in the very center of camp. All the Israelites had easy access. God was literally right there with them. God says, I've made a place. Will you come? Now, ultimately, the tabernacle is going to foreshadow that God's, and we're going to talk about this more, that God's spirit of God's presence wouldn't just dwell in a tabernacle, but it would one day dwell in us as God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gave us that gift when Jesus died. You might know, or, or that started the process. You might know the story when Jesus died. Anybody know what happened when he died? What happened to that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the, the outer holy place? What happened? Type it in. What happened? The veil, what happened to it? It ripped, right? It ripped against the grain. As God was saying a very clear message through Jesus, all are fully welcomed into my presence, but will you come? will you come? I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, but will you draw into a deeper relationship with me? So we can be in that outer court part, that 150 by 75 square feet, or 75 feet, and if you have that kind of relationship with God, praise God for that. That's going to be a, a great life, but God says, I want to draw you deeper. I'm welcoming you into the deepest place, to the holy of holies. I'm inviting you into a deep, intimate, close relationship with me. Listen, you and I were made for this. God loves us. God designed us to connect with him. It's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. It's part of our very structure to be in a deep relationship with God. So today I want to simply ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to enter into a deep relationship with God? He invites you into that. And we're going to go deeper into that through this series. You're not going to want to miss any of it because God's asking you, do you want to enter in? He says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Are you ready to pursue him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come today. We want to be in your presence, God. 
God, we want to know you. We want to know what it's like to experience an intimate relationship with you. So I'm going to ask everybody, no matter where you are, whether you're standing, sitting at your couch, walking in the neighborhood, on a treadmill, whatever it is you're doing right now, will you really pause, pray with me, spend a moment with God, because he's inviting you in. And if you're ready, say, God, I'm ready to go deeper with you. I want to enter into this intimate, close, vibrant relationship with you. So God, I'm open to that, to what you want to show me and what you want me to experience. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Maybe you're listening today, watching today, and you've been kind of watching from afar. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, and he wants to have an incredible relationship with you. And you say, well, what do I do? How do I enter into this relationship? How do I enter into this vibrant, dynamic relationship? Well, it would be asking Jesus into your heart, asking Jesus into your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior. It's a prayer of faith. I want to invite you to take that prayer of faith with me right now, to say that. Say something like this. It's not the exact words. It's more that you would mean it in your heart. Just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I love you. And I know you love me. And I know you died on a cross so that I could live. You died for my sins, the final sacrifice for my sins. So as best as I know how, Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And I'm choosing no longer to live for myself, but to live for you. Come into my life. I want to experience this relationship we've been talking about. I want to know you. Thank you for saving me, for giving me a new life. In Jesus' name I pray. God, hear all of these prayers as we draw closer to you. And Lord, we're going to come right now in this moment and we're going to participate in your sacrifice, recognizing as even we dive into the series how incredibly meaningful and powerful and important it is for us. So God, we come with hearts and hands open to you as we enter into this time. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.